I don't know about you, but I'm on camera more these days in my professional capacity than I ever thought I'd be. And many professionals are in video even more than me. So how do we make the right impression on camera when most of us didn't enter the workforce with that as the norm? That's the focus of this conversation. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 643. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing Human Potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. One of the many ways that leaders begin and continue conversations, of course, is in the virtual world. We all have had some experience with that, and especially in recent years since the pandemic. So many conversations, presentations, interactions take place online now, and many more start online, even if they eventually transition into the physical space. Today, a conversation on how we can really make the right first impression online with an expert who knows so much about this. I'm so glad to welcome Mark Bowden to the show. He's a world-renowned body language expert, keynote speaker, and best-selling author. Voted three times by Global Gurus as the number one body language professional in the world, Mark's unique gesture playing system of nonverbal communication helps audiences maximize the power of using their own body language to stand out, win trust, and gain credibility every time they communicate. As the founder of communication training company Truthplane, Mark's live and virtual keynote speeches and training prove invaluable to business leaders and teams from influential companies including Zoom, Shopify, Toyota, KPMG, American Express, the U.S. Army, and NATO, and prime ministers of G7 nations. His best-selling books on body language and human behavior are Winning Body Language, Winning Body Language for Sales Professionals, Tame the Primitive Brain, and Truth and Lies, What People Are Really Thinking. His highly acclaimed TED Talk, the importance of being inauthentic continues to reach millions of people, as does his own YouTube channel. He's a go-to media commentator on the body language of politicians, celebrities, and public figures, appearing regularly on CNN, CBS, and Global News, and is frequently quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, and GQ Magazine. Mark, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Dave, thanks for having me. Great to be here. I feel like I'm coming home, Mark, talking to you because, as you know, I spent a good chunk of my career working for Dale Carnegie, and a little bit of my work was teaching body language and presentation skills. And I'm struck by thinking about one of the things you surface in your work is that our brain is really looking for pattern recognition and what triggers it. Tell me a bit more about that. Yeah. So look, our brain is a best guess machine, not a knowledge machine. It's just sometimes it guesses so accurately so often that we think, hey, I think I'm really knowledgeable about something. I think I've got the world in order. And then we get surprised again. So we are looking for consistent patterns so that we can make really clear judgments about the world and decide how we perform within it for our betterment and against the risks that are in it. And within that, we're looking for large changes. So we get stuck in these patterns and we go, okay, this is great. This is a great pattern. I know what to do here. And then when there's a big enough change, we go, hang on, 
something's changed here. We need to change our behaviors. So when you're using body language to influence and persuade people, ultimately to change their behaviors, their recognitions, the way they're recognizing something, the way they're thinking about the world, what you're looking to do is to create consistent patterns of behavior that they can recognize and follow. And then at certain times, create some very vast differences in behavior. So they reassess and relatch on to some new patterns of behavior. And this isn't new by any means. I mean, this goes back millions of years to our evolutionary biology on why we look for consistency versus when we see something that doesn't look consistent and isn't congruent with what people are saying, it it triggers some really like fundamental biological responses in us, doesn't it? Yeah. So we call these heuristics. You might call those kind of simple algorithms or equations for working out how the world is. Yeah, we're looking for consistency and we're looking for recognizability. And if something isn't consistent, it isn't recognizable, it isn't congruent, i.e., you know, what's happening in the sound of it isn't matching what's happening with the vision of it. What we tend to do is default to negatives. So when our data is insufficient or our data is incongruent or confusing, our brain doesn't like it, i.e. defaults to a whole bunch of negatives. In fact, in some cases, under enough stress and pressure, it can catastrophize. You go for worst-case scenarios. Now, again, what we're trying to do with our nonverbal communication in order to influence and persuade is create recognizable, consistent patterns that people can follow and feel comfortable in, and then every now and again, change them in a in a noticeable way. So people have those patterns interrupted, and they start to gravitate very quickly to the new pattern that we set up. And in that way, we can do what we call influence and persuasion, which is to influence is from the medieval Latin to to be in the river with, to get in flow with somebody, to stand in the water with them. So we get into the same patterns as the people we're trying to influence. And then we persuade, we change the pattern on them, or we give them opportunities to take other patterns that they may well enjoy more or may well be more beneficial for them and for us at the same time. We have millions of years of evolution behind us of how we communicate in person, the body language we use, the eye contact or lack thereof of all of this time. And then in the last, what, 10, 15 years, all of a sudden we have these screens, which is totally different than how we've evolved as human beings. And it really is a different dynamic. When you think about working in front of a screen now, Mark, and showing up in this two-dimensional space that so many of us do, big picture, what's different about it? Yeah, look, we can go back quite a long way in order to work out how, you know, how the 2D image works for a human being. So we can go right back to cinema and the Lumiere brothers to go, you know, and even shadow puppetry as well and go, what is this world of the two-dimensional representation of you, the human being? But ultimately, the, the, the idea of getting yourself in two dimensions and putting yourself in front of another human being is not that new essentially. We know how to do that. But one of the important things about this 
is that our history of showing up as two-dimensional representations is one where the the, the owner of the of the image, the projector of the image, the creator of the image is the performer and the audience are passive consumers. Think about cinema, think about TV, yeah, think yeah. about the majority of the content that you maybe watch. You are a passive consumer to it. And yet, you know, where we where the real joy is with this revolution is having conversations with one or many real time that you wouldn't be able to otherwise have because it's too expensive to get on a plane, fly over there, see these people face to face, get everybody together. You can have these conversations now with this technology real time. However, our culture is, is when somebody shows up on screen, they're the performer, they will supply everything and you will be a passive consumer. And so if you're a manager out there, if you're a leader out there, if you're running a, a large organization, if you've got a smaller team in a smaller organization, I don't mind where you are right now, you need to remember that every time you show up on screen with other people, you need to trigger them not into being passive consumers, but active contributors to the conversation. Because if you don't, you will be allowing this technology to alienate everybody and and or, and simply to create an antisocial behavioral disorder in you and your team. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about that distinction that way. The, the two-dimension isn't as new as I framed that last question. But to your point, the interaction piece, or at least the opportunity for it, is new for us in this last decade, and certainly in the last few years, of how do we actually communicate and interact and meet? And of course, so many interactions. Now, we still get on planes, thankfully. We still go and do things in person, thankfully. But we've also all learned through the last few years that it's really efficient and cost-effective and both on time and resources to start a lot of conversations professionally, um, clients, stakeholders, interviewing people, to start that in the virtual environment. So this becomes, even if you're eventually getting to an in-person interaction, what you do starting off and interacting in the virtual space is Really key. It's one of the reasons I I wanted to have this conversation is to just highlight some of the things that you suggest on this that I think really help us to just show up in a in a more effective way in the virtual space. And there's a couple of things you suggest, and one of them is to keep it short and to keep it often as far as interactions online and and video. Tell me what that what's the intention behind that. Yeah, here's what we're trying to play against before I take you into some of these tools and techniques and models. Uh, just as you highlighted there, because this technology is in everybody's hands and at very, very low cost, at low cost, I can communicate to many, many people fast. That's what we call industrialization, doing things to more people at a distance more often for less essentially. And with that, we know through the history of industrialization that one of the downsides of that is human alienation. Okay. And because things are cheap, because you have cheap signals, you run the risk of having valueless interactions. Okay. I mean, look, mm -hmm. think about it now as you're listening 
to this is how much did it really cost you to listen to my voice right now? How much did it really cost me for you to hear my voice right now? And so with all the other signals going on out there, how am I really playing against the value of every other signal? And so here's what I do around this is I mention you. I say, hey, as you're listening to this right now, I make sure that you are called out so that you are valued. Because if I value you, you're more likely to value me more in return. Think about all the other signals out there, all the other podcasts right now that don't even know you're listening, but I do. I do know you're listening right now. So look, we've got to add value into it. And so one of the ways we can add value is is through the idea of little and often, or being kind of recognizable. The more you recognize me, the more you're going to value me, because the more your brain goes, hang on, I keep hearing and seeing this guy around all over the place. He must be part of my village. I mean, he must be a local to me, because just like your brain is still set up for that local atmosphere, that local village, not the metropolis, not the alienating mass amount of people living together. Your brain is still set up for that small local environment. In the small local environment, you hear and see the same people day after day after day. You maybe don't interact with them for a long time, but you know, you see over the road and you see your neighbor and you give them a wave and you do that same time, same day, every day. And if they don't show up, it's like, oh, I wonder where they've gone. Where have they gone to? Hmm. And you miss them in a way. And you you were only having a one-second interaction every day, but just that little repetitive interaction is enough to trigger that village brain into going, that person is a local, that person is consistent, and therefore I need to recognize them, I need to value them, I need to support them. It's a way of triggering you to being social rather than antisocial with me. Does that make sense to you, Dave? It does. And it's, it happened exactly with this conversation, too. You and I have a mutual friend, Michael Bungay-Stanier, who our audience know from the Coaching Habit book and many other books. And a lot of folks are fans of his work. And Michael said to me a while back, hey, do you know Mark? You should have him on your show. He'd be great. And I thought, hmm, I, I heard your name. Like, I feel like maybe his name sounds familiar. And then I Googled you and your face popped up. And I was like, oh, I know Mark, which of course is silly because I don't know you <laughs> before we had this conversation. But I had seen you on LinkedIn. I had seen other people share your video. I had seen you on YouTube. And so, and it was those little interactions consistently. And by the way, speaking of Michael, one of the things we're, we've been trying to teach leaders for years now is how to be more coach like, having regular, smaller, consistent interactions of asking those coach-like questions versus sitting down once a year for a formal performance review and never saying anything about helping someone improve or to give feedback. And I think like how much comes back to the importance of just short, consistent in how we socialize and get to know people and also pay attention, right? Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Look, who shows up once every now and again, once a year to give you feedback as some kind of arbiter of your performance? Well, some stranger. Like, what is this stranger telling me about my life? But this person who just shows up now and again with a a little bit of interest, a little bit of a question, a little bit of like, what do you think? Now, that's an interesting human being. That's somebody who might well care about me rather than somebody who has power 
over me. So, I mean, you know, what Michael's saying there in terms of show up little and often with this is just key to that village brain that we all have that says that somebody who shows up little or often is probably a member of the family and Mm. therefore should be listened to a little bit more, respected a little bit more, given just that little bit of time, rather than this kind of, let's say, consultant that swans in every year and, and, and gives me feedback. That's a stranger. And you know what we'll probably do with that stranger? We'll probably shut the gate so they can't even get in the village. So we kind of sit there in front of them, but the mental gate is closed on them. So I I couldn't agree more with that little and often idea. Yeah. it's And and on a practical level i mean you pointed out i mean in in a lot of ways like this conversation like very much kind of that industrial like okay it's you and i having a conversation a lot of people are listening in a passive way they're they're exercising they're doing laundry they're driving whatever they're doing and so i always think about that and accept that and then i think how can i add in some of that connection points and one thing that i found that's been really really powerful in recent years is some of these services i use loom where you can record a quick video to someone and upload it and send it to someone. And it's and I try to keep them to two to three minutes anytime I do it. And I use it for our clients. I use it for listeners when they reach out. And it's interesting to me, Mark, like how how consistently those land. And I hear back from people like, wow, I got a personal message or like, that was really cool. And I think, wow, the technology has been out for a while to do this. And yet, how many people don't think to do that. We think about producing a fancy YouTube video or getting something up as a webinar, but we don't think to record something like a two to three minute, often consistent. It, it, it The technology is there to do that. And what a great opportunity to leverage this in combination with the things we're already, we would do in person. Yeah. And here's why we don't tend to do that. It's because they think that the quality of that communication, the quality of the content has to be at absolutely top notch because this performance, this communication, this content is going to live forever. They mm. think that it that this will be their tombstone. You know, that either the content yeah. will be so awful, it will kill them in some way. You know, it'll be the end of their career in some manner, or that it's going to be forever. And so they've got to produce the best content. Here's the way that I look at it. And I think it's the best way to look at it is that because the mechanism to do this is in our hands right now, just like in the 1950s, uh, 1960s, most every kid could get hold of a guitar. And they'd worked out that you could create great pieces of art communication with just three chords. And And they called it rock and roll. Okay, And they mass produced this thing. And out of that came pop, which was you can produce a song on one day, get it out the next day, and it either be in everybody's head by the third day or absolutely forgotten and complete garbage. But it didn't matter because you'd make another song. And so I would say because, you know, these these electronic instruments and, and, and the ability to get it out to people, we have our own channels, we own the channels, I can own a YouTube channel and put out as much content 
as I can produce. And the only thing stopping me really is me going, but it's got to be great, hasn't it? Because it will live forever. No, today's video is tomorrow's garbage. You just have to create, create, create little and often and put it out there because it's the consistency of what you put out oh, and yeah. you will get better and better and better at it. Yeah. And, and and yesterday's piece of coaching is gone and you're on today's piece of coaching. You're living by the little moment that you're in right now, knowing that by tomorrow it will be history and forgotten whether it was brilliant or not. Oh, it's, it's so true. I mean, cons- good done consistently. I'll take any day over amazing excellence done once in a while. It's like so it's so different on what you mentioned as far as like people creating content and coaching and just it's just it, I, the amount of people I've run into my career who have talked about a manager being absent, maybe not physically, but just not being present as far as giving some kind of regular feedback. I mean, it's really interesting if you do something consistently well. I mean, this is just another avenue for it. It's not any. It's not. It's a different medium. But the principle's really the same. And speaking of something where the principle's the same, one of the things I know you're a big believer in is smiling. <laughs> and I think back to Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People from almost, you know 100 years ago. There's a whole chapter on smiling. And we do that more naturally in person, but sometimes like we forget to do it on video, don't we? Yeah, we do. And I'll tell you, smiling helps because it ups the levels of oxytocin in people. It's as simple as, simple as that. You look, here's what I want you to do as you're listening to me right now, is to just picture in your face two dots for eyes, a dot for a nose in the usual place, and just picture in your mind that upward smile, that lovely big smile. So you've got in front of you a nice big smiley face. And do you already notice what's happening to your face right now, mirroring that? And also, are you getting a sense of your mood? improving right now. Now, I'll tell you what I've done is I've got a smiley face drawn out on a post-it note right now. And as I'm talking to you all right now, because I can't see your faces, but I know you have faces, you're living human beings, you all have faces out there. I can't, I can't see your face, but I'm looking at this smiley face right now, and it's improving my mood because even that image ups my levels of oxytocin. Now, by the way, oxytocin, one of the things that the neurotransmitter oxytocin does is to fuzzy the boundaries between what I believe I am and what I believe you are. It fuzzes the boundaries between our our persons, our entities. It makes me feel more like you and makes you feel more like me. It's the neurotransmitter that gives us that feeling, that idea of connection. And so by looking at that smiley face, I'm purposely increasing the neurotransmitters in my brain that make me feel connected to you. And now what I'm going to do is just take my eyes off that smiley face as I talk to you. And you'll probably notice how my tone of voice changes, how my attitude changes towards you. And now I'm just going to bring my my eyes back to that smiley face right now. And you'll notice that tonal change yeah. in me. So look, what I do on meetings is stick up my own smiley face. I love that you do that. And I saw on one of your YouTube videos from a while back, you actually moved the camera back and you showed your setup. And I thought, like, here's 
the guy who's like the body language guy who, if anyone doesn't need coaching on this, it's you. And you have a post-it note with a smiley face right on your camera reminding you to smile. And I think what an important invitation for all of us to just remember something that in a way it seems so basic. And yet there's something about not getting, like you said, when we're not getting the feedback or we see the black squares, like we're just so much more likely to default to something that is a lesser experience than what we would do in person. And if we can set the tone, especially someone who's leading a conversation, it makes all the difference. And you can hear it in someone's voice, even when it's audio only like this, you can hear the difference in someone's voice. Yeah, absolutely. Look, if you've got 15 people have shown up to your meeting and they're all those black squares, you will start to catastrophize. When insufficient data, you will default to negatives yeah. and you'll start to spiral down that route of well, why are they not showing themselves? Because they don't like me. Why don't they like me? Because my my content is bad. My leadership is 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 bad. Why is it so bad? Why is it so bad? Because they're all so rubbish. Like they're terrible. They're all awful at their jobs. Why do I have? Why do I have to work with such a terrible, terrible team? <laughs> I guarantee that your instinct will spiral into that super quick, and you won't be able to stop it unless you countermeasure from moment one, which is to draw that smiley face, get it up there to get yourself more optimistic rather than pessimistic. You're working against those black squares. You've got to know that that, that is a strong, clear signal, and it will lead you unless you lead yourself with a stronger, clearer signal. I was laughing because I've so been there myself. And I think the thing that is just the practical thing to realize and and why I love this invitation is even if you have really great norms inside your own organization, your own team for this, inevitably, almost all of us are interacting with stakeholders, customers, other organizations where this is not the norm. I'm sometimes surprised when I do something outside of our community of like, oh, wow, like it's not the norm at all to show up in the way we show up in our community. And so getting some practice with this, getting better at this is sometimes the thing that that is helpful when you're starting with that maybe really high value connection, first conversation with a stakeholder or a donor, it can make all the difference. Yeah, it totally can. Look, what, what we need to recognize is that we will always try and be lazy if we can, always try and be lazy. And, and even when we know it's a high value communication coming up, when it's via video, we will feel it losing value in front of us. So we have to know, look, I got a high value communication coming up via video. I am most likely to devalue that the moment I start into that communication. I need to start the work immediately of raising the value of this communication in my mind so I'm not lazy anymore. I don't default to what will feel at the time very normal things. It will feel like really rational and rational and reasonable to go, what does it really matter? I won't, I won't look down the camera so much. I mean, what is it? What does it really matter? I don't think they're paying attention very much anyway. We will rationalize our economy that's that's yeah. happening there because two dimensions 
is a low value compared to three, four dimensions in front of pe- people. You know, multiple access to lots and lots of in- information, spatial information, taste, smell, like everything. You know, remember when you have a live meeting with somebody, you're probably drinking tea or coffee or water or something. There's other information going in at the same time. Maybe somebody gave you that coffee and the sugar that you maybe have with that is going into your system right now. So all kinds of things are changing and in many, many streams of data that make that live experience way more kind of epic and valuable. We need to add those things or more information, more valuable information back into those virtual meetings. And speaking of adding things back in, I mean, one of the things that I notice in myself of all the years I taught Carnegie courses and presentation skills and body language and gestures, especially how I don't do that as consistently as I used to when I am on camera in front of a screen. And I've really had to make a point to remind myself to use gestures. And I find that's true for a lot of folks who might be more comfortable doing that in person or in a meeting. All of a sudden you get on camera and we tend to be pretty stoic. For the person who hasn't thought much about that, like a lot of us have thought of if we've presented, we've at least thought about gestures, even if we're not great at them in person. But we haven't, I don't think many of us thought about that in the virtual space on camera. For someone who hasn't thought that about that that much, what's one thing that's helpful on camera in a virtual environment to think about with gestures? Yeah, let me give you one thing. So first of all, you're going to need to get your gestures up into frame. So look at the frame that you have, look at the space that is seen by the camera and make sure your gestures go into that space. They don't need to be in that space all the time, but it's even better usually if they pop in and out of that space every now and again, because that causes a dramatic change as to what's in the space. And the brain keeps waking up, waking up, waking up because it sees dramatic change. And the brain wakes up when it sees a difference and it reassesses, it recognizes, it rethinks the situation. You're making people's brains work in the way that those brains like to work. The instinctual mind likes to look out for these changes and go, okay, is this an opportunity or is this a threat? So first of all, pop your gestures into frame. Now, let me give you one type of gesture that my guess is, is you're probably not doing as much as you should be. And that's what we call the baton gesture. The baton gesture is the gesture that conducts along to the rhythm of your speech. Sometimes Mm -hmm. in baton gestures, you'll use your whole hand or your whole arm. Sometimes it might be just a finger moving up and down. Sometimes you might have a pen in your hand and that pen might go up and down or around in the rhythm of your speech. And what that helps the brain do is not only hear the rhythm of your speech, but be able to see the rhythm of your speech. The Broca's area, which is the part of your neocortex that does language, is a prediction machine, not a knowledge machine. We have some simple systems in there for for what language is, but as to what language it might be, that's a prediction system. We don't know English, we predict English. We don't know Spanish, we predict Spanish and every other language you can think of. And we predict it based on a whole bunch of factors, some of which are just the sound that's being made, but we like it even better if we can see the lips move 
more chance that we got the phonic right. If we can see the rhythm of the speech and not only hear the rhythm of the speech, we feel that we're going to get closer to what the feeling and intention might be, and even some of the words, what they might be. So gesturing along to the rhythm of your speech helps predict what words have been said. It makes people's brains feel more comfortable. When they're more comfortable, they like you more. When they like you more, they like your message more, and they make up a better idea of what you said. And you have so many wonderful examples on YouTube of this, just looking at you doing this. I mean, it is so different, and it's a it's a small shift, but if you do it consistently, again, back to our point on consistency, it really does help people to track along effectively. Mark, thank you so much for all this perspective. So we're going to link up to your TED Talk, some of the YouTube videos, and you were very gracious to mention to me before our conversation that you'd love to invite folks to reach out to you on LinkedIn if they'd love to send a message. And perhaps if you do reach out to Mark on LinkedIn, I would add the additional invitation of share one thing with Mark that you found helpful or useful from what he said in this conversation. So that way he knows and you can kick off that conversation. So thank you for that invitation, Mark. I'd love to ask you one final question. Experts are always learning and growing too, and we're changing our minds on things. As you reflect on these last few years, especially with the pandemic happening, I mean, so much of your work changing, so many of our work's changing. What's one thing you've changed your mind on? Yeah, really good question. Here's what I've really changed my mind on. Before the pandemic, and before using video day after day after day at, at all of the levels that I work with people, I kind of thought, much like everybody else, I thought, I think you can kind of make relationships with people over video, but I don't think you can do it as fast as if you're face to face with them. I don't think that you can get that intimate level of relationship fast the same way that you can face to face. Here's what I now know. Over video, you can do it faster. Okay. If, if I want to do what we could call quick set intimacy, which is get somebody with that feeling that they are really intimate with me, that I really understand them at a very, very intimate level, I can do that now faster on video than I can face to face with somebody because there, there is much less perceived risk over video. Their, their brain that's assessing risk all the time and going, well, be careful what you tell Mark. Be careful because you're in the same room as him. Be careful because there's more risk because now, you know, you're breathing the same air. You're within striking distance. You are, you know, where are my exits? Where that kind of fight or flight brain, when I'm there on video, that is not activated. And so people's barriers lower faster, and I can get more significant, valuable, intimate relationship information out of people way, way faster on video, like super fast. I was just amazed at how fast people would open up and continue to do so over video with me. So there's my my learning for you. Mark Bowden is the founder of Truth Plane, author of Winning Body Language, and many other books. Mark, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. My pleasure, Dave.
If this conversation was helpful to you, several related episodes I'd recommend. One of them is episode 237, These Coaching Questions Get Results. Michael Bungay-Stanier was my guest on that episode, author of The Coaching Habit. You heard Mark and I talk today about the importance of regular, consistent, short conversations on video. Guess what? That's just as important in person or any medium. Michael's been talking about that for years, the importance of having regular coaching conversations. Episode 237, a great starting point for that. Also recommended is episode 450, The Way to Influence Executives. Nancy Duarte was my guest on that episode. Uh, The founder and CEO of the firm Duarte do incredible work on presentation skills, but that's not why I'm thinking of her. It's because that conversation was all about How to talk to executives when you are meeting with them, presenting to them, pitching to them. Nancy talked in detail about how the mindset that we want to have and also what are some of the tactical things we can do to do a better job with that. I think it's a great compliment to this conversation with Mark, episode 450 for that. I'd also recommend episode 518, The Way to Make Sense to Others. Tom Henschel was my guest on that episode, and we talked about Tom's framework of sorting and labeling. If you find that it's a struggle for other people to understand what it is you're talking about and to hear your message well, that episode is a must-listen. Tom walks through the process of how to really make sense to others, how you can really divide your language, your message up, how you can label it, how you can talk through that. It's a process that Bonnie and I utilize all the time in our communications Episode 518, a really good starting point for that. And then finally, I'd recommend the recent episode with Seth Godin, episode 632, Moving Towards Meetings of Significance, whether that is virtual or in-person or some hybrid We all want to have meetings that really use time well and are significant, not just reporting on information. Seth really makes that invitation to us so strongly in episode 632, and I recommend that as well. All of those episodes, of course, you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. And I'm inviting you to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com if you haven't done so before, because it's going to give you access to all the past episodes, searchable by topic, all of my interview and book notes, and my library. I have been databasing all of the articles I find on the internet for years, all the things I pass along in the weekly guides, things I find of personal interest, yes, under leadership and management, many things, but also other topics as well, too. It's all in Dave's library inside the free membership. If you click there, you can search by hashtag of all the topics tons of resources in there. It's just one of the benefits of free membership. And if you've already used that a bit, but you haven't yet checked out Coaching for Leaders Plus, I would also recommend taking a look at that. You can find out more at coachingforleaders.plus. There's several enhanced benefits available with Coaching for Leaders Plus, and one of them is receiving a monthly article from me written in long form, highlighting a particular topic and referencing many of the experts we've had on past episodes. One of the recent articles that I sent out to our members is called The Art of Dropping a Ball. We all need to sometimes give things up and set things aside that we shouldn't be doing or maybe we shouldn't be doing any longer. 
But how to do that artfully is really, well, it's an art of being able to do that inside an organization with all the politics. In that article, I walk through step-by-step exactly how to approach it. What's the right mindset? How do you do that in such a way that you get movement, but you do it in a way with professionalism and grace? It's one of the many benefits inside of Coaching for Leaders Plus. Much more at coachingforleaders.plus. Coaching for Leaders is edited by Andrew Croker. Production support is provided by Sierra Smith. This coming Monday, I'm glad to welcome Eduardo Bereseño to the show. He's going to be joining me to discuss how to help your team embrace a growth mindset, a key principle for all of us. Join me for that conversation with Eduardo this coming Monday, and I hope you have a great week. Take care.